and you came back after lunch. This is very exciting and very encouraging. In this particular session, I want us to ponder something of the power of God that's there for us. We were talking you know, at the very beginning of the day about the, the wonder of the Father's love for us. And then we were looking at how we can actively pursue and find something of the presence of Jesus in our lives. And so what I'm going to look at now really is, you know, for those who've worked out Father, Son, ooh, I wonder what's next. It's this, this whole subject of the wonderful Holy Spirit. Now, actually, it's not as if we're suddenly turning to look at the Spirit. Because the Spirit of God has been active in all that we've been talking about throughout this day so far. You know, whenever, whenever we, we find the Father's love, actually that is a deep work of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.15 says this, It's by Him, by the Spirit, that we cry out, Abba, Father. You know, I think actually one of the, when we talk about the ministry of the Spirit, we often think in terms of you know, things like you know, prophecy or the gifts or tongues, something like that. Actually, one of the most powerful ministers of the Spirit, something he is doing within you and I 24-7, is trying to turn our hearts to the wonder of the Father's love. And every time I think we, you know, we, we begin to turn our eyes and think, well, does God love me? I think the Spirit's inside is going, yes, yes. It's what he's doing all the time, drawing us to enjoy, to wallow in the, the wonder of the Father's love for us. But everything we're talking about as well with the, the idea of the presence of Jesus, that too is a work of his spirit to bring Jesus to us. You know, um, there's a lovely verse in John 16 to 14 where Jesus, he's looking forward to the ministry of, of, of the spirit and, and he says this, he, he will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. So it's like somehow what the Spirit is doing is, is taking of Jesus and bringing it, sifting it to us to make it real for us uh, in our lives. So the Spirit's been active all day long, which is great, but there's more. There is more. And what I want to begin to look at is what this more is, I think, is this incredible active touch that the Spirit brings us. There's an amazing passage in Luke chapter 4. It's so well known. Um, and, and this passage, right at the beginning of Luke's gospel, it's often called, you know, the Messiah Manifesto. It's, it's Jesus, I think, laying out what people can expect through his ministry. 
It's Luke 4, beginning at verse 16. It says this. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And they rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And it seems that from that passage, what we can gather happens is this, that the Spirit came on Jesus to enable and to empower Jesus to do the very things we read about throughout the Gospels. And there are three things in particular that I just want us to look at this this activity of Jesus prompted by the Spirit. And it is to um, release the prisoners, to open the eyes of the blind, and to release the oppressed. And I actually think that in those three phrases, actually perhaps all of our needs are described. You know, you probably hear today, many of you, with a desire for his touch. And I thought in those three, those three descriptions of what Jesus came to do, there is, in a sense, a resounding yes from God for these needs that we have. These things are for us. We'll just briefly look at them. The first phrase was this, to bring freedom for the prisoners. Now, I know that there are miscarriages of justice, but let's just assume just for a moment that people in prison are there for things they have done wrong. Now, I know, and we all know, that there is innocent suffering. We all know of people that are going through things that are not their fault in any way. But you know, sometimes we do stupid things, don't we? And sometimes, because we do stupid things, things happen in our lives. And you can't really blame anybody else. I mean, you do try. We always do. But deep down, sometimes because of things we do wrong, there are consequences in our life. And we suffer for what we've done wrong. 
And, you know, we wish we hadn't, but that, that's the way it is. Well, the stunning thing in this is that Jesus came to bring forgiveness. In other words, he came to take upon himself the sins we have done, those things which we cannot blame other people. He takes it on himself. He takes it so that we do not need to bear the consequences of that sin. It is freedom for the prisoners. I remember once seeing somebody walking around and they had a, a necklace which was simply the word forgiven. Forgiven. I thought, what a beautiful word to have marked round your neck. Forgiven. Because you see, we, we actually, most of the time, bear other words. You know, and maybe it's things you've done wrong. Maybe it's things that weigh upon you. And these, you know, these words, we live under their condemnation. But Jesus changed that. And he has put this word upon us, forgiven. You know, it's not just swept under the carpet or let's pretend it's not there. It is forgiven. You know, it's like you know, if you have a bill, it's the joy of seeing the word paid stamped on it. Because then it can no longer be presented to you for payment. It is done. And we all carry that word, forgiven. It's beautiful. And I think we need to celebrate our forgiveness probably. Um, sometimes a lot more than we probably do. The second phrase that uh, is used in that uh, passage is this, recovery of sight for the blind. I like to think of this really as that whole ministry of physical healing that we read about so much in the Gospels. And, you know, we read of Jesus doing this. Sometimes it's to individuals, sometimes it's to small groups, sometimes it's whole crowds that are healed from their sicknesses. And... It's a stunning thing if you think about it that the actual time that Jesus had for his ministry on earth is actually quite short. About three years to basically change the world from there on. You know, it's not long for what really eternity, the difference is going to make. Yet have you noticed how much time he spends of that three years? talking to and ministering to individuals, to groups, bringing healing to them. Why? 
because it mattered. Because it was really important to him. He hated to see that the suffering that people went through, he hates to see it now. And, and so, so much of his energy seemed to go to that ministry because it mattered to him. And it's, it's such a joy. He's still doing it. He's still doing it. I'll tell you a couple of stories. We were, um, we were in a church um, way, way up north, uh, in the Lake District. And um, we weren't really talking about healing. We were talking about um, prayer and, and some of what we've been talking about, but as a way of praying. But at the end, um, I sort of led this uh, time of ministry. And they were a cup of coffee, which seemed a good thing to do. And during the coffee break, this lady came up to me and she told me her story. And, and it was amazing. Um, I'd noticed her, she'd been in the front row and she'd had some crutches under her seat. And I'd been encouraging people, as I was talking about today, to rest in the truth that the Father loves you. And I'd been encouraging them to find something of the presence of Jesus there with them. And she had a sense of Jesus, um, sort of just um, standing about sort of six feet in front of her. And that's where, that's where his glimpse was for her. No idea why, but that's how she sensed him. And then I said to people, look, why don't you just tell Jesus what's on your heart? What do you want to say to him? And she was actually in quite some physical pain. And so she said to Jesus, I, I, I'm in pain. I'd, I'd love you to heal my pain. And, and then you know, I went on and I said, well, what do you sense that Jesus is trying to say to you or communicate to you? And as she sat there, the, the only thing that came to her was this phrase, step away from your pain. Well, she had no idea what that meant because it wasn't really a phrase she'd use and didn't really know what she was meant to do with it. But... You know, she went along with it, and she couldn't really physically do it because she was in a lot of pain and sitting down. But in her mind's eye, she pictured herself walking towards Jesus, away from her pain. It's the only way she could think of to do it. And she did it. Her pain went. Now, what was more stunning, she said, was that you know, I was saying, that's fantastic. She said, no, no. What, when she then went to get a cup of tea, she nearly fell over because her legs had been different lengths. That's why she was in pain. As she got up to move, she realized something had happened and her legs were now the same length. And, and no one had touched her, no one had prayed for her. He'd done this. It was beautiful. We had someone come to the mission the other day and um, this person bought their, their sister. And the one that bought her sister, she was a um, quite experienced nurse. But her sister was in the advanced stages of ovarian cancer. And um, 
She was rather fearing this might be you know, coming to the end. And you know, we, we prayed. And you know, along the lines of what we've been talking about today. And um, as we prayed, the sister who had the, the cancer felt actually absolutely nothing. Uh, which was very encouraging. And, and then she went on away. And we got an email a week later saying that she'd been back to the hospital. There was no signs of the cancer. Now, there was still this, this, this um, mass within her which they operated and a much more simple operation to remove. But there's no cancer. Coincidence? Maybe. Misdiagnosis? Who knows? Could it be God? I think so. <laughs> I really do. Because this is, this is Jesus. This is what he does. He brings healing to, to people's bodies. It, it's, it's what he still is doing. And then the third category, if you remember, yeah. set the prisoners free open the eyes of the blind, and to release the oppressed, set the oppressed free. Now, oppression can come, really, in any number of different ways. It seems what oppression is about is us being pushed down, either by the words of other people, or by the actions of other people, by influences beyond our control. And Jesus came to set us free. I was thinking about somebody the other day, and he came to one of our meetings. And he was a, um, he was a Baptist minister. And because of, a, I think, a very um, a divorce he went through, he'd been really uh, forced to leave his ministry. And it was extremely painful for him because his heart was that of a pastor, and, and, and no doubt there were things, you know, on, on both sides. But he felt this, this you know, he felt he, it all has been driven out of the ministry. And it was uh, such pain for him. And when we were praying along the lines of what we've been doing today, he had this beautiful sense of a recalling back into ministry. That others might have pushed him out but God was calling him back. And it was like, he said, an oppression being lifted off him. And uh, to my knowledge now, he's begun uh, to minister first to a small group, and then slightly bigger, to try and find again the, the, the wonder of his calling, to try and release this, this oppression that had been put upon him. This is our Jesus. It's what he does. And his heart to do this has not stopped. In John 14, verse 12, Jesus is, it's kind of that last, uh, those chapters in John, that, that's moments where Jesus shares with the disciples before the events of the cross begin. And he's looking to the future. And Jesus says this, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me 
will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. In other words, Jesus saw these things as continuing beyond his time on earth, beyond that, that earthly ministry. Because that spirit that was on Jesus then is, if you like, the spirit that is on Jesus now. As he comes from heaven to earth now, is that spirit that is upon us now as we reach out and minister to others that this work of Jesus continues. And it's for us. In Ephesians 1, we've been looking at this chapter already. There's a beautiful part in that chapter, just towards the end, in beginning at verse 18, where the writer speaks about the, the incredible power that's there for us as believers. And uh, it says this, I pray, it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened or opened, that you may know. And he goes on this three things he'd really love those people to know. There's a third that's, that's Fascinating for us in this subject of healing, really. He says this, that we may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, I wonder if you caught that. See, the prayer was not that we receive more power. I think we often hear this prayer, Lord, give us more power. That's not what the writer says. He's not saying you need any more power. His prayer is that the eyes of your heart are opened, that you might know the power that is there. The power is here. Why? Well, Jesus hasn't gone anywhere. And the Spirit is anointing him. And the Spirit is anointing us too. The power is there. And stunningly as well, it is, the words he uses were, for us who believe. It's not just for some of the really, really special anointed people. Not just for the leaders of the church. But the power is for us who believe. Now I would guess the very fact that you chose to spend a whole Saturday sitting inside here, you're probably believers. Because if you weren't, I'm not sure what you're doing here. I wouldn't if I wasn't a believer. So you, it, you must be it. You must be the ones that he's talking about. We are those 
who believe. There is therefore for us this incredible power, a power that is so strong, it is like resurrection power. And I, I, I don't think we can comprehend what resurrection power is. You know, we, we are confronted with images of power that is able to kill. But can you imagine a power that is able to raise from the dead? That's stunning. But this is the power that is there for us who believe. For you and I, all of us believers, it's there for us. Now, the trouble is, I think, we, we, we hear this, then we go straight back into that thing. Yeah, that's all very well, but is this really for me? Does he really mean me? Does he really mean everybody apart from me? Um, and we, we think it probably does somehow. And you see, what we're doing when we think like that is we're putting all the attention upon ourselves. I came across this amazing verse the other day. Um, it goes right back to the book of Genesis. And it concerns Isaac in the book of Genesis. And God makes this amazing promise to Isaac. And just this is what he says. He says, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And I will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. The next word. Because. And now he reveals why. Why Isaac will see all of this. Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commandments, my decrees, and my instructions. Let's think about this. If Isaac was ever thinking, well, Lord, you said you'd bless me, but why are you going to bless me? I'm not very good. I did this and this. Perhaps it's all been lifted. Perhaps you're not going to bless me. It was nothing to do with Isaac. It was all because of what somebody else had done, what Abraham had done. What about Isaac at all? How refreshing and releasing must Isaac have felt? I can do whatever I want, and I'm going to get blessed. Because of what Abraham did. How wonderfully, wonderfully releasing. Now, just think about this for ourselves, you see. Because I think we might be tempted to think, well, why would God bless me? Why would God heal me? Why would God ever want to use me? Because, and then you can list pages of reasons probably why you wouldn't be blessed. But what if it's got absolutely nothing to do with you? What if it's got everything to do 
with Jesus. Do you know, it's a, often we read in the, in the New Testament verses about you know, crowds coming to Jesus and he healed them all. I often think about that. In those crowds, there would have been some really good people and there would have been some not quite so good people. There would have been some really religious people and some not quite so religious people. There would have been people who were generous, givers, and stingy people too. But it wasn't about them. It was about the one that stood in their midst, from whom this incredible grace and mercy of God flowed. It was all about Jesus. I think it is for us too. It's about him. One of the promises that I, I always come back to, almost on a daily basis, is these words from John 10. Uh, it's like this, it says this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. You're saying it along with me, it's great. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Next verse. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I love that verse. And I actually particularly love it when you look at the context of what's just happened. Um, it's actually all part of one of the healing stories. In, right at the beginning of John chapter 9, we read about a man who'd been blind from birth and Jesus gives him his sight. It's a glorious story. Can you imagine just being there as this man sees for the first time? Now, unfortunately, the uh, religious leaders at the time aren't quite so enamored by this particular miracle. And they start questioning this guy that was blind, saying, what, yeah, what's happening? Who, who did this? Yeah, there's no joy in their hearts at all. But then they start really having a go at him. And in the end, they throw the guy out the synagogue. Then there's a beautiful moment. Jesus finds him again. He looks for this man and he finds him, goes up to him. And he begins to talk to him a bit more. And then they're, they're joined by, by, by more leaders and by more crowds. And it's right there. With this guy that was born blind standing right next to him, I guess. Where Jesus says, I came. That they might have life in its fullness. Be like that. Have it. Not just dream about it, but have this amazing, wonderful fullness of life. And it's that next verse I love, where he says, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life 
What that says to me is this. All these blessings, healing, whatever. You know, setting prisoners free, opening eyes to the blind, releasing the oppressed. All these things come to us through the good shepherd laying down his life for us. It's not about you. It's not about how good you are. It's all about him. That's our confidence in the wonder of what God can do because it's, it's all, all about Jesus and what he's done for us. Now, Jesus is here. That's what we've been talking about, really, this morning. He's here. He is with us. He is with you. I don't know in what ways you glimpsed his presence this morning. He's here. Now, I'm not promising, and I can't promise, that whatever you know, you want God to do, he will do this afternoon. Um, I, I can't make that promise. It's not like a slot machine. You know, if you pop in the right prayers, out comes exactly the answer you want. But he does something. I, I, I always go back to this amazing story, the, uh, the man that was lowered through the roof. Remember that story? Um, it's the most amazing story for everyone, apart from the guy that actually owned the house where the roof was dug out. I'm not quite sure what he made of all this. But anyway, you know the story. These, these four friends had this guy that was sick, and they wanted him to come to Jesus. They can't get into the room. And so they go up on the roof, they dig out the roof, and they lower him down. I, I think that must have been one of the most, I don't know, Tense moments in the Gospels. There's Jesus. There's this crowd. And there's this man dangling right in front of Jesus' eyes with his ropes going up to the thing. It's just, you know, it's, it, it, I just, wow. The, the atmosphere in that room must have been absolutely electric. Wouldn't it, you know, if someone dug out that and lowered someone down? You know, you'd be wondering, what on earth? How did you get out of this one? <laughs> you know, what's going to happen now? And, and we know that, you know, the, these friends, they were full of expectant faith. They, they wanted something to happen. We, the crowds must have longed to see something happen. The leaders, they wanted to too, that they could trip Jesus up. It was electric. What does he do? What does Jesus do next? What he does is, he looks at this guy that's dangling there. And he says to him, your sins are forgiven. You can almost hear these four guys up there saying, sins? Blow his sins, he's getting heavy, you know. Somehow Jesus looked at that man and saw that before anything else, there was something else he had to do first. And I think we're all encouraged to bring our needs to Jesus. We really are. 
But you know what it's like. You know, we, we all have a kind of a list of things we want God to do. Oh, we do that today, uh, and then that. That's good. My wife says I need that, but don't worry about that. Then there's that thing. And, and, and I think Jesus loves to take the list. He does. But I wonder, if he looks at you and says, hmm, yeah, that's really important. Yeah. You know that thing your wife says is important? It is actually, you know. <laughs> Let, let's bring that up a bit. And I think that actually for all of us, I think he does desire a total transformation. But maybe, just maybe, he might want to transform that bit before that bit. And he is God, so perhaps we ought to let him. It doesn't mean that he won't come around to that thing. That guy that was low through the roof, he says your sins are forgiven. Then he goes on to heal his back pretty quickly afterwards, or his legs, whatever it was. But, but maybe there are, we come to him with that honesty of whatever we want to bring to him. But we're bringing it to him. Let's allow him and give him the space to do, you know, what, what he wants to do. You know, I think we often think that, you know, a good prayer is when God does exactly what I tell him to do. Uh, maybe it's not quite like that. <laughs> maybe he wants to just do something else as well. And that's, that's in a sense, part of our surrender in, in, this, whole, in this whole ministry. I remember being in a church and praying for a lady, and, and she, what she wanted prayer for was um, schizophrenia that was really plaguing her life. And I, I, I prayed, you know, along the lines of what we've been talking about. And after she said, well, you know, God has just touched me. He didn't touch the schizophrenia at all. But he showed me somebody I need to forgive. And I'm going to do that. And I don't know what else happened after that. But she, she'd brought her need to him. And he'd done something else. And she had, he had the wonderful grace just to say yes to whatever it is that God wanted to do for her. Let's come to him. And there'll be a chance in, in the service where we can pray specifically for some things, but just for the moment, let's just bring our needs to him. Could we stand? as I said, we probably come here today with specific things we want to bring to him. And that's what this day is about, to give us space to do that. Well, just let us spend a little time first, once again resting on the incredible truth of the Father's love for us. Father, Abba, Father,
You are the father of all creation. You hold this whole world in your hands. And you hold us. Each one of us. And you love us with the love with which you love Jesus. Father, we worship you. We worship you as beloved sons and daughters. Standing before the Father who loves them. Father, because of your love, you gave us Jesus. Jesus, you loved us. You gave yourself for us. Jesus, you're here. You are the gift from the Father. You are here. Just ask you that question again. Where is Jesus for you? right now. He's here. How are you experiencing him? sense him near you, around you, before you, within you, a picture of you and he somewhere. It's, it's just 
let him show you that glimpse for you right now. And as he's here, what do you want to bring to him? What's on your heart? To share that with him in your own words. What do you sense he would whisper back to you? That thought, that picture, a Bible verse. Holy Spirit, we long for a deeper knowledge of that power that is available to us who believe. I ask you, Holy Spirit, would you be like the the hand of Jesus? moving around us, bringing bringing that release for the captives. That healing to our bodies. That freedom from oppression. Holy Spirit. Transform us.
of just stay receiving. If the ministry team were able just to just look round, you probably can't get out, it doesn't matter, but just maybe lay a hand on someone near you that's receiving. Just bless what God is doing and let the Spirit flow through you to them. Let that resurrection power flow through you to these dear folk for whom Jesus died. And if you're receiving, just receive. Just, just be breathing in the wonder of what God has for you.